2: That's right! We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Was one of those it was a my phantom menace moment where i sat in the cinema willing it to be better than it actually was and sort of liking some aspects of it now i've re-watched it for this conversation and it's both worse than i remember and better than i remember isn't
0: it yeah i think that's a very like that's kind of my reaction to it as well when i watched it again recently
1: One thing just from the very get-go is the title sequence uh, being basically what the Marvel title sequence would become, which is a sort of leafing through old comic books and images of Judge Dredd uh, kind of to to show its provenance, which was a bit kind of weird when it came to Judge Dredd because he was someone someone who was huge in British comics, but not in a Sylvester Stallone American comic way. Is, is that accurate?
0: Yeah, it was one of a weird I think it was a weird sort of um it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because it when it's also when it comes out, it came out in the same summer. I remember as a, I was I was 20 when this came out give away my age and I was at UCAC the UK United Kingdom comic art convention in 95 and there was a panel (laughs) this was just as the bloom was starting to come off the rows of all the kind of big comics expansion and comics have grown up and all the rest of it stuff of the late 80s into the 90s they said has anyone here seen all the three comic book movies three comic book movies that had come out that summer which were Judge Dredd obviously Tank Girl which I also saw yeah which I also saw and Batman Forever. I went up on the stage and spoke to Alan Grant, who was the co, who had been obviously for throughout the eighties co-writer of Judge Dredd, then wrote Judge Anderson on his own. So, John Wagner's writing partner passed away oh, recently. Was the main Bat, arguably the main Batman writer. For DC for the nineteen eighties into the nineties, and I think the editor of two thousand eight at the time, which was Dave Bishop, or the magazine, I can't remember which one he was doing, but they were on stage talking about that, and they wanted to pull up someone from the crowd to get up and talk about the films that come out, and I and I put my hand up. <laughs> I remember sitting on stage at UKAC, not very busy, talking about the three films, and it was a uh, let's just say there was a certain amount of um, derision for all three offerings, shall we say? And right. I think actually, if you look at it, that where it came out. You're talking about the kind of use of comic book imagery. I mean, in a way, that's a kind of throwback to Superman a movie, isn't it? That's how it opens. Theater codes open, and then there's a comic book. Okay, it's not Superman comic. As we know it, but it's action comics. There's the kind of... So maybe they were thinking about it in that way. But if you go back to sort of the Tim Burton Batmans, which had been the pre... I guess the that was the thing that set the whole kind of train in motion, wasn't it, that kind of reaches that point in 95? There isn't really a lot of kind of playing up of the source material. Do, do you know what I mean? It's Even though it's quite a loving sort of version of very early Batman comics, those really those 1939, 40 ones, it's got that film noir, film noir. It doesn't really have any kind of... It's its own thing based on that source material. The one that comes afterwards, I think, which really kind of sets the tone for all the goofiness is Dick Tracy with all the primary... You remember they used B E used all the primary colours? He only used those colours to try and make it look like a comic, you know, all that kind of stuff. It was a hit. I don't think it was, I mean, obviously it wasn't as big a hit as Batman or anything like that, but it was successful. It had the yeah. big, kind of cross, it had the same kind of uh, pop cultural sort of um, multi-platform thing with Madonna's album. There was a lot of merchandise that came out. I don't think that necessarily sold as well as all of that other stuff but it was it was expensive i think that was the thing wasn't it it was an expensive movie and it did deliver maybe in the way that they they had hoped but it was by no means a, a flop it was a success it was a successful film so you've had a couple of those things then there's the flash tv show that comes along doesn't do very well but that's in that kind of same milieu and then obviously you have by 92 batman returns which is you know, still Mass was the biggest film of that year, wasn't it? I mean, the other thing he didn't do was obviously didn't do as well as the first Batman, while well. they mm-hmm. boosted it, booted Tim Burton off of it. But that was that film was a it was a big big hit. People forget that now. That's been kind of rewritten out of hit, you know, a way forgetting that. Re- re- sorry, written out of history because of the kind of well, it was too dark, it was too this. The, the kind of all the toyetics. off. It was still massively successful, and it was a massive deal. So, comic book movies were kind of there to stay. But then that summer of '95, I guess, is when you
1: see. When did Mystery Men come out? Mystery Men is like late nineties, isn't it? So then,
0: okay, so ninety-five. You go to that. That's the next big one. The next Batman movie. It's a totally different kind of gig. It looks like they've watched Dick Tracy. Tank Girls rather goofy. Judge Dredd is kind of somewhere between goofy and kind of an exploitation movie, which is kind of really weird. It's like Dredd's kind of an interesting beast because it's sort of it's not a kids film, and yet it's got things in it that are completely kiddified and yet at the same time it's, it then goes off into kind of texas terrestrial massacre territory and weird science fiction and you know it's kind of a bizarre kind of misfire in so many different directions so yeah i mean so i got up and said that so it was on the stage sort of saying you know i quite enjoyed batman forever i would revise that opinion now maybe as it's not by no means uh i kind of think that that's almost as bad as batman and robin this is not an um this is an um kind of a uh, popular opinion i think but um It's truly dreadful. I mean, Tank Girl was a disaster and didn't really work at all and kind of killed the character as well, really, as a going concern. Dread, as you said, is worse and better than you remember. And I think that was the thing about Dread, is that there are elements of it that are very, very striking and very close to... to, It's In a way, it's more of a 2000 AD film than a... Judge Dread film,
1: yeah. it Has the ABC Warriors just pop.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll come. You'll we'll come on to that, I guess. But um, so it's kind of playing with. It's, it's, yeah. It's got. They've all got. They've got an, all of them. I think have got a very kind of imbalanced and sort of slightly unhealthy relationship with the source material. And the I would say of the movies that have been made up to that point, the comic book movies. The most successful ones were obviously the the first two Supermans and um, the first two Batmans. I mean, and I I think in a lot of ways, Tim Burton, by the time he made Batman Returns, didn't care about the source material. (laughs) He just made, he took that as a jumping off point and took it in a totally different way. But then very few characters of Batman and Superman that have that kind of sort of, They've got kind of a pop pop cultural cachet. I mean, by the time those films are made, they're kind of forty, fifty year old characters. Seven, ninety five. Harold's dread seventeen, eighteen years old. Eight girls probably. Ten years old, if that. So you can be more kind of Catholic with your kind of influences on a kind of Batman and a Superman in a lot of way, lot of ways, because you've got so much. Batman's been to space. He's been, you know, he's carried a gun. He's been, you know, realistic. He's been completely unrealistic. He's had a, he's, he's got, he's driven around with a, a dog that wears a Batman mask. You know, you, you can. There's all these things you can do. Whereas, Dread, I think by that point, you know, was obviously the biggest problem is he's completely unknown. Generally speaking, to the U.S. audience. And I think you can't... The elephant
1: in the room, which is worth saying up front, is the best Dread film is Robocop. They've already... All the qualities of Dread that they have already been anticipated by Robocop and... and... Stolen.
0: Have you ever seen the 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 behind-the-scenes stuff from Robocop where the original sculpt of Robocop with Dread's helmet? If you watch that, I mean, I think that's on the DVD or the Blu-ray. And then there's that... What's that stuff on Netflix? Is it films to see before you die or whatever it is?
1: Yeah, Movies That Made Us,
0: I think. Movies That Made Us, that's it. I watched the Robocop one, which is quite good fun. And um, there is the shot of that in there. And if you take some of the lines um, that Robocop has in the script, they're lines taken from like the covers of the Eagle color reprint us comics of the 2000 AD strips that they resold in america so mine minor and my you have 30 seconds to comply i think and stuff like that and uh dead or alive you're coming with me all those kinds of things are from they're probably i think they're the brian bolland covers aren't they that from those reprint titles and a lot of that's sort of been
1: lifted so you're basically getting judge dread and people saying oh this is a ripoff robocop even though it's the other way around Kind of. Well, I
0: think the thing then is they've got to try and differentiate it from Robocop, haven't they? And I think the influence of 2008 at this point is really kind of strong in the kind of um, in movies in general. Because if you look at, I mean, and it's not just 2008, you've also got the French and European sort of sci-fi comic influence coming in, the Mobius, etc. Because if you look at something like Blade Runner, isn't that Mega City one in some respects? Yeah. If you look at, you know, if you look at stuff like Alien and Aliens, the, the sort of the texture of the world there, there's a lot of that type of science fiction from, you know, the gritty kind of road trooperish end of that side of it in strontium dot, all that kind of filtered into kind of into that stuff. You take, I think, by the end of the 90s. I mean, if you watch Total Recall, for example, Total Recall is quite a 2000 AD.
1: Yeah, um. the ta- the taxicab guy just is yeah, totally. straight out. He, he even looks like he's, he's drawn by... Oh, yeah, Ian Gibson's art. Ian Gibson, yeah. It looks like an Ian Gibson's drawing. It's really uh, to the to the point of rip-off.
0: There's, there, there's, there's, I think there's a lot of... Yes, there's a lot of... So, so so, what I'm saying is that for you go from 87 through to 90, you then get to kind of like, say, Terminator 2, <laughs> which is there. Where science fiction cinema has gone, it's drawing heavily on that kind of influence, whether that's directly or un- indirectly. I mean, if you look at stuff like... I mean, when's Empire Strikes Back? Is it 1980? Empire's 80, isn't it? You know, 80, and then you go to 83, Bob, Boba Fett's in that. You know, that's all very... And you look at The Mandalorian now, it's very much like Strontian Dog. I mean, it's almost mm-hmm. like... It kind of could be. It's one of the and interestingly, John Wagner wrote a load of Boba Fett comics for Dark Horse in the nineties, I think, because obviously that's, that's all this stuff goes around. Everybody, these people are not existing in a vacuum, so. You know, I think the influence is, I think Dread had a kind of underground influence that was then, when you then try to make something, I mean, and I think the thing that's interesting with Dread in 95 is it's a big budget movie, relatively speaking, with a huge movie star at the centre of it. So in a way, that's kind of count, that's sort of like antithetical to what 2008 is and what Dread is.
1: Because, I mean, oh. I always felt that dread was coming out of Clint Eastwood. I always felt there was a Clint Eastwood sort of Dirty Harry, man with no name, sort of emotionless. I mean, he's he's supplanted the law for, for his personality, really. And there was a dark humour to it. But, I mean, that's what they end up, because they've got Sylvester Stallone and because he wants to be loved, you have him sort of growing and becoming more human. And it's just like, ugh.
0: Well, they made, there's big changes. They make big changes. To the kind of, the, I mean, Dread is a clone, isn't he? And Dread knows he's a clone, and Dread is bred to deliver the law in this dystopian, you know, authoritarian future. And in the film, they make it that he doesn't know that. I thought I was a, I thought I was a, a real person and I had a family, but it's all a lie. You lied. So he can have the scream bit moment where he screams, you lied to me, you know, like, <laughs> those films. types of films. that was the thing I'd forgotten when I rewatched it is that there was all that plot and how heavily woven into the kind of whole thing it was. And it's like, I mean, I think what they get, right. I think it's important. Interesting to talk about what they get right in the film. I think the, yeah, texture of the f- of the opening sequence i think when the first 15 20 minutes of the film are quite a good dread sort of intro you go into mega city one they've spent the money on building other sets the you different
1: the different bullets the different the armory the the motorcycle
0: yeah yeah yeah. you kind of introduce the kind of ephemera of dread very well and it's beautifully designed it's beautifully made I'd m- funny my m- DOP on my a couple of my short films is Alfie Biddle and his dad was the DOP on Dread. It's Adrian wow. Biddle who shot Aliens and Delman Luis. And my I asked him, I said, he said, Yeah, I shot I shot that. So he was probably a kid, he was ten. And he said, um he said, Yeah, I played golf with Sylvester Stallone and my dad. He was a cheating bastard. There you
1: go. There, there you go. go. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone cheats at golf. But uh, I've got you know, can I just do my quick slice story? So probably. I was I'm talking to a friend of mine, and he's—I think he sort of like had a maybe a writing on on one of Sylvester Stallone's films, one of the later ones. And he was telling me that they would, you know, they'd be on the lot and they'd be walking to the the canteen or wherever uh, the commiss- commissary. Stallone would be like talking, you know. You see the thing with Mon- Mondoliani and uh, Picasso is they've got this weight of thing, and he'd pass some sort of crew member. They go, and the crew member go, "Hey, Sly," and he would go, "Oh, you doing? Oh, you." you know and then go back so anyway what were you talking about mondigliani yeah anyway so the thing it's just like it wasn't like his public persona was a complete performance but it pretty much was a complete performance yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. of course it was in preparation for this i was watching rambo 3 on the tv last night i watched the Mm. end of it that never fails to delight but I think it's interesting as well watching that. I was, that was just on. I wasn't didn't seek it out. It was on. And I watched it. And it was like, well, Sly's kind of uh, right-wing politics sort of allied quite nicely with Dread mm. without really getting that it's a satire. And what you get with a, with a Stallone playing Dread is it's a kind of, it's like, this is a bit, bit of fascism isn't a bad thing. The lovable fascist. The lovable fascist yeah so the, So. the but anyway yeah, the, i mean i think the thing with dread with, with, with stallone playing if stone takes i mean the obvious thing is taking the helmet off if stone's playing dread you know what stallone looks like it's like is what's the point of like him wearing the helmet i mean it doesn't really make any difference i think that's actually the least of the problems of the film if the helmet no helmet whatever it's like people would forgive that if you could if the film was kind of like true to dread's character but it isn't and it kind of really obsesses about in that typical Hollywood kind of you know action movie trope you know post-Star Wars where there has to be kind of a familial connection doesn't there between the the leads like Rico is the kind of and he's not really the Rico of the comic Rico really appears in like one story at the beginning mm. of it, it, very early on. It's not written by John Wagner it's written by Pat Mills. In a way this is much more like the Pat Mills, if you read the if you read like something like the Cursed Earth, original mm. Cursed Earth story. I think the dread movie is much more like the Pat Mills sort of version of dread. And obviously that's, you've got the ABC warrior kind of thrown in there as well as a, as a, as another thing they will nod to his work as the developer of <coughs> the, the editor, first editor of 2018 and kind of the developer of the character with, with, with John Wagner at the start. I think there's more of that in it than, than, than Wagner's dread. Wagner's dread is not that kind of familial story. You know, obviously Rico's part of the thing and it's been woven into the kind of tapestry of it. But done in a very different way over time i just think it's it's a it's a weird kind of mixture they sort of do the wrong story and they do it in the wrong way and then they want to kind of make it all about flying motorbikes and stuff like that towards the end Mm. at a point when the technology is not there to be able to do that because frankly even if you go back and watch original star wars trilogy the worst sequence in all those three films is that fucking speeder bike chase in return of the jedi Right. Because the the footage, and it just doesn't look realistic. I mean, and that whole thing of immaculate reality that Lucas talks about, which is perfect in kind of every other sequence of all three films, fucking hits the brick wall when you go into the forest and you can see that they're just basically in front of a back projection. It's like something from Torn Curtain. It's not that much better than that. It moves a bit mm. faster. But it's, whereas I think, you know, what they were doing at the end in Dread is not good. And I think as well, the other thing is, you've got a director that doesn't, I would say if you watched Dread, one of the big problems is it's it's shot so badly shot cannon, cannon did, he, he's got no he can't pull the camera back you've got all these amazing sets you've got all these amazing kind of like things that you could give the sense of there's no sense of scale there's a sense of it's a bunch of sound stages mm. and cut together sequences Now that's partly the way it's been edited as well and all the rest of it but it's the, the fundamental thing is there is when we talk about vision there is no vision the frame is not wide it reminded me a bit I mean it's what i don't like about um jj abrams is particularly when he made the. Awakens, that first Star Wars movie, is that you never believe, and I think this is true of him as a director, full stop. You never believe that the world extends beyond the frame. When you watch original Star Wars, you know that the world exists outside of the way Lucas is pointing the camera. And even I don't like the return, I don't like the Last Jedi as a movie, but Ryan Johnson as a director creates a far more immersive world that you do kind of believe is going on outside of. Whereas it, you know, Canon, and it's not surprised then that Canon ends up becoming, you know, Mr. CSI, Mr. TV, right? Or wrong. You know, that's what he is. I don't don't think there is a lot. It's the thing. The thing with dread is it's not very cinematic. For all the sets and everything else, it's just not very cinematic.
1: And yet, there's a weird thing in it that if the making of is to be believed, and certain, I think I I watched a screenwriter. Is it D'Souza talking about? Yeah, talking about what went wrong with the movie. And his argument was, okay, we were we were making this kids' movie, kids' action movie, and we had a toy deal, and we had all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And all the scenes of violence that, that were supposed to be implied, you know, shadows on the wall and everything, he had filmed as, you know, um, the guy getting his arms and his head pulled off and blood yeah. splattering on the floor. And they found themselves with this sort of heading towards an R rating well, it was an R-rated film, wasn't it? Yeah,
0: but that was yeah, no, that's but he's right though. That wasn't the plan. It was meant to be a so there was a whole line of toys that were cancelled. So all the kind of cross promotional stuff that was there in the kind of deal didn't happen.
1: Why have that violence and then have Rod Schneider as the sort of hand holding comic relief? And he's got to go down as like one of the main reasons not to watch this movie.
0: Oh yeah, and I don't. I don't even mind Rob Schneider in, like, say, fifty first dates or stuff like that. I can quite happily watch him in an Adam Sandler film, but he belongs in an Adam Sandler film. He doesn't belong in Judge Tread. And Fergie, the character that he's loosely based on, is is not the same. In the, I think it's the day the law died. I think. I think that's it. I mean, it's just terrible, isn't it? I mean, it's just a horrific mismatch. You think they must have been thinking of Lethal Weapon 2. D'Souza would have worked on... I don't mean he worked on that, but he was around the Joel Silver world, wasn't he? Well, it's a weird mix. Didn't Pressman produce the Tur- Turtles films, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles films? Uh, I think so, yeah. If we talk about comic book movies, actually, that was the most successful independent film of all time when it came out in 1990. You know, we talk about this kind of movie, we're forgetting
1: that one. So Batman, Turtles, Dick Tracy... Well, I mean, you could go back to Howard the Duck as well as another um, sort of... It flopped, though, didn't it? it? Its flop was significant in terms of how are we going to do this? How are we going to handle this?
0: And he kind of weirdly, by the time you get to the sort of Tank Girl Dread and even then Forever, sort of the, the ghost of Howard the Duck is kind of, it, it kind of almost sort of like his back. It's been he's, he's hatched again within these three
1: films. Is, is there maybe a, a, a problem with these properties where someone looks at something like dread and they get a universe and they get a whole, they get such a huge variety of things that they could possibly potentially make a film out of that there isn't a, like a compelling story as such to tell, you know, whereas I don't know, with superheroes, because we're thinking specifically of, of non superhero movies that are based on comic books and judge dread is a main character. But he's not he's a character inside his u- universe rather than a superhero arriving from somewhere else or or from having some special powers.
0: Well there's two there's two things, isn't there? I think there's the um the first thing is that they look at a property and they look at what they can kind of spin out of it. You're right, a universe, but they also look at what they can merchandise. And if you think if you go back and listen to them talking about the making of Blade Runner, the producers of Blade Runner and the split between Michael Dealey and Ridley Scott and I guess Hampton Fancher, but particularly Scott and Deely, when they were making that film, is precisely around this. They want it to be a kind of Indiana Jones. They want to sell toys of the spinner. They want the gun. Does it have to? Does he have to squeeze his eyes out? Does it have to be dark? Does it have to be all of this? Because they want a Star Wars. They want a kind of you know they've got Han Solo. They've got no. Indiana Jones as the lead. They want that's what they want, and that's not what they've got as a piece of material from either the screenplay or from the from the book or also the filmmaker who made alien as well. <laughs> it's like, it's like, that's the, that's what it is. So if you look at Blade Runner, I think there's a lot of parallels between that and the way dread is then done. Cause I've, think both of them are kind of weirdly financed sort of independent things with studio who just i can't remember who distributed dread was it carolco or someone like that Uh, yeah carolco yeah so so they're not it's not a studio picture so that what you've got pressman is an independent producer all these and these other kind of entities coming in blooming together the finance on the basis that they're going to create this giant sort of like firestorm of merchandise and potential you know so We've got to have the robot in it, you know, the ABC robot, you know, who kind of is basically Hammerstein from ABC Warriors, but has nothing to do with dread. We've got to have the monster in, so we've got to have, like, the, meet, the um, angel gang, the best part of the film. And we've got to have all this other kit. So, we've got to have like bikes. He's got to have different, you know, mm-hmm. uniforms. He's got to have different outfits. He's got to be, they've got to be these zombie cr- clone creatures at the end as well that we can kind of. So, it's about that. It's about creating all these different things. But at the same time, never. And also, we've got to have a movie star if we've got a budget of this size. But all of these things can talk the thing because they've never looked at what they're buying in the first place. And if you look at Robocop, which gets it kind of right, what it is a satire on, you know, ultra violent policing in the 20th cent, late 20th century jumping forward in the 21st century that film was made for what 13 million dollars and robocop was a big success but it wasn't a blockbuster and they cut full foul with this when they made the second robocop of like the bigger budget you know that second film did not actually do particularly badly whereas in yeah. fact the film that this kind of looks like in a way is robocop 3 which i've never seen you've never seen it no, no i've never seen robocop 3 oh you've got to Back uh, to Frank Miller. Well, he wrote co-wrote it, didn't he? Yeah. exactly Robocop Three's. I don't think is as terrible a film as people say. I mean, it's not. I wouldn't call it a good film, but it's kind of like. But it's It's interesting. You've got this ultra-violent character who was in the first movie, who's now kind of fighting ninjas, and it's a live-action cartoon, and it's a shitty kind of, kind of cartoon. But there's a kind of. But it's an interesting way that they've kind of tried to aim lower to kind of widen the appeal. And in fact, what they've done is just cut the nuts off the thing. So, and they got I think Fred Decker wasn't it who did Monster Squad to do that. But I think that came out. In 91 eventually 92 something like that so before dread but there's a lot of parallels there where you're taking the, the intrinsic core of this thing and you're kind of completely i wouldn't even say you're kind of
1: watering it down you just don't understand it another film influence sorry that uh it just reminded me of when we were talking about the cursed earth earlier of course is mad max so you've got mad max mm-hmm. in the background and and the three george miller films that have uh been released at this point well yeah and
0: there's the, there's also the there's the uh the the, the court case over sh- over hardware isn't there you know the richard stanley thing, which is ripped off of uh the, the future shock that kevin o'neill went and did the league of extraordinary gentlemen he did with steve mcmanus which was a seven page i think future shock and then they were taken and it's like oh no they've ripped off your f- film and they end up having to pay them you know for stealing their work so the influence had gone really kind of Deep by this point. But yeah, George, George, I mean, you can't look at George Miller's work on Mad Max and not see it filtering through the whole of. You know, eighties science fiction. The Terminator is obviously hugely influenced by Mad Max. The first Terminator, in particular, even into Aliens, you can see like designs and style and look of that is kind of all the way through. And then also he does the other thing as well by cutting the balls off of Mad Max in Beyond Thunderdome, <laughs> selling out. Um, so it, it's all there. The whole range is there. No, it's, it's, it's unfairly maligned, but it's 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 kind of the return of the, it's the return of the Jedi of uh...
1: Let's Let's move to Dread then, as as sort of we we see how it's been done wrong. And I agree with you uh, the the, the angel gang is by far the best part of the film and, and sort of like it's just weird how quickly they they you know wipe out their best characters cuz they could have they could have been the 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 you know so, uh, Characters that were That were I don't know Following them back To Mega City 1 Seeking revenge And they're just like No we'll just Episodically Knock them
0: out But they're all But good But they're good Because they captured I think they're the best Element of the film Because they capture The kind of The, the sense of they're, they're actually The only characters In the film That are quite funny And they're kind of They are They are those characters Kind of unfiltered They're kind of like Inbred kind of cannibal They're the te- the family From the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Basically And mean yeah. Yeah. machine Looks like like mean me, machine and behaves like me, machine. He's kind of it's a perfect adaptation of me, machine, angel. It just unfortunately it's surrounded by the rest of this film, which is a completely misconceived. um They should have made the me, machine movie. That would have been much better. There is a there is a strip, isn't there, called where he travels with his psychiatrist that they did in the nineties, which I always thought would have been a good. Uh, travels with my shrink. I think it's called Where he goes, uh, he goes on a on an odyssey. And that a bit that would have been quite good. But yeah, no. So that's completely wrong. I think if. I had a little email exchange with John Wagner. Yeah. we're well, we coming to the end of this, I asked him about I asked him about what not so much his views on uh, <laughs> the the film in general, but um, his answer to to this. So I asked him about this. So, what did it when did it become clear?
1: Right. So the first one, when did it become clear that Judge Dread was actually going to happen? Dunno. I suppose when they heard they were filming at when I heard they were filming at Shepperton.
0: That might give you a feeling of his (laughs) attachment to the project.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Was there ever a version of the film that was more faithful to the script? Not that I know of. How involved were you? Totally detached? Was there anything that felt right on that first film? The recreation of the city was very good, as were Mean Machine and the ABC Warrior, though what it was doing in a dread film I don't know. Some of The cast were good too. I wonder who. I mean, maybe Max von Sydow, and I. I quite like Armand Assant's performance. Yeah, yeah, he's quite fun as he's
0: quite fun as Rico. Yeah, he's, like, he's, he's, good, um, he's a good he's a good scene chewer, de Sant.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know where he, I am the law. <laughs> that that yeah, line yeah. reading is particularly good. And do you think the underperformance of the film damaged the character? In terms of film, obviously, I suppose that means yes for the comic side too. And then moving on to the 2012 Alex Garland version of Dread, yeah. here his answers are different. I was soon informed, and I was impressed. By the people involved in making it, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. Uh, He met with Garland. This is uh, John Wagner speaking. He seemed to have a good understanding of the character. I was prepared to wait and see what he turned out. Then you ask about Alex Garland candidly saying he fucked up the film, and Wagner replies he got a lot right. He kept dreading character that was the main thing. He was smart enough to know that with their budget, they couldn't afford the brawn broad sweep of the first film. His original pitch, I think, had been to use the dark judges, and had he stayed with that, I think it would have made the film more standout, and moved away from the raid, which unfortunately came out shortly before Dread. Uh, which i remember being a sort of reference point for many uh if you were writing a dread screenplay what what would your film focus on and he says people have to pay to know that so he's
0: not (laughs) that's the best the most john wagner response ever
1: so he's not giving anything away so what was your reaction of the twenty twenty the 2012 Dread?
0: dread i'm probably less positive on it than most people i kind of still think there hasn't been a Great Dread film, mate. I wasn't working... I mean, I was at this point, I was working... So I wasn't, I wasn't working on 2008 at this point, and I hadn't written... I've written a couple of Dread things. I've written a couple of times in the blog, and I've done a couple of, th- of the series in the magazine since 2012. So when I saw the Dread film in 2012, I don't think I had a particularly close relationship to the character on the page as it had been... I mean, I kind of stopped reading 2000 in the magazine around about probably within a couple of years, maybe 98, something like that, 97, 98. So probably wouldn't have been that long after the movie, the first Dread movie. So I hadn't really kind of dipped into Dread for years at all um, as a comic book character. But when I saw the, so I went to see the film as a movie. It got very well reviewed, yeah, and I was kind of disappointed. I sort of thought it was humourless, and I think he's right in that Dan Alex Garland gets Dread right. He does get Dread right as a character. But the point of dread is he's kind of like he's not a hero, he's an anti-hero, he's kind of like he's a he's a fixed point in Mega City One. And I think if you don't if you don't sell Mega City One as being this bizarre kind of erodic kind of mirror, you know, version of our kind of society around him, if you don't get the strangeness of Mega City One in the way that if you don't get Gotham City right, you don't really get Batman right. If you don't do that, I don't really think Dread makes a lot of sense. Or that he just becomes a generic kind of tough guy. He's stoic in the face of madness. I think that's kind of, that's that's the kind of point. He is kind of that poise of dread is he's kind of totally down the line and the world is absolutely insane. And in this, it just looks a bit like every other post-apocalyptic action movie. And it doesn't even, sometimes you say, is it even a post-apocalyptic action movie? They have a bit of a voiceover at the beginning about, you know, nuclear wars and mega city one but then they're kind of in a tower block it's more like sort of i think there's more of dread in something like ben Wheatley's high rise you know in the Mm -hmm. way that city one is in the kind of the tower block the insanity of that going on than in anything that's much more of a 2018 mega city one kind of thing than the dread film i think they get dread right i think anderson is pretty good in it as well but everyone else is quite generic. I think it's um. I, I like I like Carl Urban in the part. I think he works very well. I think the way they kind of redesigned it in more kind of tactical cop gear. But in a way, they kind of it's like they're a bit embarrassed by Dread. Also, like they wanted. To, I mean, I guess the 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 um the, the budgetary issue, which we're coming to, is is an issue. But it's also like they it's a kind of it's a bit like when they made Man of Steel after Superman Returns, and it's like okay, everyone complained he didn't punch anyone and he was too soft. No so he's gonna kind of like rip people's so heads, he's gonna be breaking necks, he's gonna be cities are gonna be destroyed. It's kind of that sort of it's a reaction in a way to the Stallone dread. And I think what it doesn't do is look at what works with that. But I think John's right with the, the villain. I think if I think that's where the film comes down, is that Lena Headey, who is a very fine actress, is completely, you know, she's not memorable. And if your kind of your trick, your visual trick for the film is basically what's been used in every video, music video and video game adaptation for the last 10 years, that would indicate to me that's a cheap trick. And I mean financially cheap. Right. It's like we can, make, we can slow it down and we can do it in 3D and we can make it this slow-mo drug. It's like, well, be anything. So I'm a bit ambivalent. And I, I think, you know, the raid is one thing where you can, they did the block, the, the sort of self-contained action in a tower much better because the action's phenomenal in that. But I also think something like District 9 came out not long before and did the kind of satirical sci-fi element of it so much better in a way that robocop did before and it was like i remember when district nine coming out Think, oh it's the first time someone's done something like this since robocop and done it successfully and you looked at that and you just thought that's what it should be and that's not what it is that's not what it is so i kind of look at it and think it's i watched it again not long ago the dread and it's like it's okay i know there's a huge sort of glamour for it and people a lot of people love it but it didn't do very well either. You can look at you can look at the. I think he's right about Judge Death and things like that. I think you've got to, the films are only as good as their villains as well. And if you if Dread is kind of going to be put up against anyone, he has to be put up against someone who's actually a genuine threat. And Judge Death, you don't have to say it's going to be a, a big scale movie, but if you've got him, Dread, who's this complete kind of ascetic, meat, flesh and bone kind of human character, and you put him up against a kind of supernatural force then that's an interesting collision and that could be an interesting collision kind of philosophically character wise but also an interesting kind of thing visually as well Mm. not just kind of guys shooting each other across a kind of um crowded hallway
1: which is what it ends up becoming sort of stairways and corridors and apartments what do you feel
0: what's your feeling on
1: it I think I liked it better than than you in in terms of just listening to your reaction there. But I do think that the clamoring for a sequel is kind of an almost an admission that they need another crack at it. That it would be really yeah. good to see Carl Urban in a in a bigger budget version with more. But you, but you know you're not going to get that with a film that wasn't particularly successful unless it does a sort of Blade Runner twenty forty nine sort of thing whereas but i don't think i don't think this dread is ever going to reach the cultural sort of impact that Blade Runner eventually did, you know. No. Um, so I think that's fairly forlorn unless, you know, the only way they're really going to make it is if they make a sort of a lower budget version. <laughs> and that's... Or uh, that, well, the TV
0: version that they've talked about for a long time. You know, it's like, um, in a way, Dread's probably better suited to that.
1: Yeah. But I mean, there were loads of sort of 2000 AD properties that have been talked about as possible films. I mean, D- Duncan Jones has been um, on about a rogue trooper for quite some time. That... Uh, that I. I we've yet to see anything, any, any evidence of, I mean, I'm mm. not even sure if a script was ever finished for that or or what. Uh,
0: I think they, there's stuff went on and this going on and rebellion, right. obviously have their own studio down in Oxford, this studio space, which is being rented out or being used. I don't know. I mean, there's the, the, the road trooper was one announcement, you know, then there was all the dread mega city one announcement a while back, but you know, you've got to look at it realistically and say, the boom for kind of streaming content has gone. You know, yeah. Duncan Jones wouldn't be getting mute made now. <laughs> yeah. Um So it's like, I mean, it's all right to it. You can announce that you're going to do these things, but who's financing it? It goes back to, I mean, if you look at both the dread movies, dread, is it's been funded by different i think it was IM global or whatever we involved in the the second one you know it's an independent film i think i remember they went out and they mm. sold all the rights at the various different uh film festivals pre-sold it packaged it together in that way that market doesn't exist anymore and also the trouble with dread and i think it probably spills over into other 2000 AD properties is dreads failed twice you know if you compare the kind of grosses of, 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 of the second dread movie to the first dread movie it's nowhere near as much i mean the original dread did over a hundred million Hundred and thirty million dollars worldwide, or something like that. Which in ninety five, if you kind of like extrapolated that forward of inflation and everything, I don't know what that would be. Th- about three hundred, probably what Blade Runner twenty forty nine did. But the Dread movie from twenty twelve wouldn't get anywhere near that. It'd be probably do. I don't know, it's probably
1: what you'd expect a kind of horror
0: uh, title to do, a middling horror title to do at the box yeah, office. Yeah,
1: or, or, or an Alex Garland film. I mean, it, uh, yeah, well, or, right, or, yeah. you know what I mean? It's it's sort of, um, he's got uh, men, I, that went straight to streaming, right? I must... No, I saw that in
0: cinema.
1: Oh, right, okay. Yeah, make I, money. <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. Annihilation exactly. went straight to streaming, didn't it? It didn't get released. Yeah. Ex Machina uh, got yeah. a theatrical release, but again, it's that sort of middle, <laughs> it's it's the sort of film that in the eighties you'd see on channel four at nine o'clock on a Thursday. (laughs) It's sort of like really, I mean, in a good way, really good, really interesting, really all those things. But you know, it's not going to, it's, it's gonna have difficulty cracking through to a mass audience.
0: Yeah, well it's not it's not a mass audience movie, is it? I mean, I think if you if you want to look at the Garland's most successful 2008 AD film, it was um it was uh, twenty eight days later. That's totally kind of imbued with the sense of two thousand AD. You know, that's kind of like right back to the kind of raw, kind of late seventies, early eighties kind of edge of um of that. that if ever a film was written by a two thousand AD fan, that was it's that one. There's more of that in Dread. And I just think Dread's very I think Dread's very generic in the in terms of the way it's directed and the way it's kind of it's a troubled production i think that's very much on record garland is more involved than maybe his producer and writer credit suggests and the film if you look at it he probably should have directed it but he probably wasn't he probably wasn't um going to be given the 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 reins but i think i mean i think if you place it in a broader context as well i mean i think garland's work on his own stuff is, is good i enjoyed devs i thought that was very good Mm. And I thought, um, I like I like Ex Machina. I was not a fan of men, I have to say. I thought that was not not, not his finest work. But I wasn't
1: a huge... It kind of lost its way, didn't it, man? Yeah, yeah. It was,
0: it was it was a conceit that didn't warrant a feature film, as far as I could tell. And you wonder how much COVID affected it, because would it have all been one man? Or it was a film that was made within the restrictions of COVID, then it was all kind of Rory Kinnear. And yeah, it was just, it didn't, it wasn't. It was a short film. It would have been an episode of Black Mirror. Or something like that, rather than rather than a feature film. I never liked his version of his this his adapt- adaptation of Never Let Me Go, the Kazu Ishiguro film. I didn't. Hmm. I didn't.
1: Know. I need to. Re- I need to rewatch that. I, I I remember enjoying it at the time and thinking it was a a good Andy Garfield film.
0: Yeah, well, he's in, he was in... It's one of his first big roles, isn't it, I think? Yeah, uh, yeah.
1: He's just, I mean, sort of one I of was, the few good Andy Garfield films.
0: He doesn't choose very good ones, it has to be said. He, he's... I just didn't think that film worked as uh, on the basis of the world building. There's a lot of things that, that works on the page. I'm not sure it works on screen, and, and I don't think he cracked that. And that film died as well. And that, these films that die, they don't die because the audiences are stupid. <laughs> I tend yeah. to feel... Um, and that kind of doesn't didn't work, and I know, yeah. So I think Garland's the tone, and I think also these films are not very funny. And one of the things about Dread is humor, yeah. whether it's whether it's Dread's humor, you know, Dread in a way is a bit like Wharf in Star Trek Next Generation. it's kind of unintentional humor around him, and it's the kind of people's reactions, you know, to to, to what's going on. And they try to try and focus down on Dread as an individual kind of hero as well. Seems mistaken the, the idea of teaming him up with Anderson in the second one works well but you'd want more of that you want more judges you want more of the Justice Department you want more of Mega City 1 that's it it's just not enough of it I think you don't I don't I wonder if you don't know anything about Dread. whether there's enough of the world to grab onto to okay. really make sense and I think he makes more sense when you see all the rest of the stuff going on around him so but I thought Carl Urban was very good I think he's very. He, he works very well in the role and he did it he, he gave it his he gave it his all and he got the character and Garland was very, his fidelity to the character was, was strong. and is the film's best and strongest card. But I don't think, I think it needed a bit of infidelity, maybe, to kind of mm. make it a more successful movie. But also, you know, you need to draw in more other stuff as well. And I just don't think it really did that.
1: I, I always, I, I keep thinking, and I, I come back to this, which was my criticism, I think, of the first Dread film, was I don't, I just think you seem to have a situation and a setting and a character but not a story and i think uh mm. garland tried to solve that by making the mission you know it's just going to be a very straightforward procedural mission you've got to get to f- this floor and take out this criminal mm. that's and the journey will be everything and it's just in the end that could be as you say it's very tv episodic it's very it, it's it feels like a very small story for for a big film unless you're going to do something like the raid which is essentially the same story, but, but with much more bravura when it comes to filming the action. Well, that's what
0: I mean about the filmmaking is, is then the bravura is the thing. In, it's what goes on in those. You can have a very simple conceit, but that's not the, but you how you execute it in those different kind of like stages is the thing. If the point of the raid is not that it's every, it's not, we don't remember the characters. We don't remember the story. We remember the kind of guy killing someone with a kind of light bulb or whatever, you know, or jumping over a fridge that's out. That It's that. It's the kind of, that is the, that is the point. That's the that's the selling point, and the thing we dread is that if the visual trick is we can slow things down, and Mm -hmm. slow motion is really boring in an action movie as well. I don't understand why people ever always do this. It's like slow motion is the antithesis of action filmmaking.
1: It's like any James Bond movie Where they fight underwater Is a bad James yeah. Bond movie It's well, as, it... For your eyes only Thunderball The minute they're underwater Doing stuff It's just like Boring Hurry up Thunderball They have a long Underwater battle That just goes on forever
0: I like a lot of Thunderball But that just kills The the Kills it I mean and that's the, true In the other ones as well It's like yeah No
1: underwater fighting is I can't t- tell who anyone is I don't know what's happening yeah. Everybody's going slowly So So John Wagner then has Um a uh, history of violence, which you've also you also questioned him on. Let me just uh, bring that up again, so I can. Um... So he wasn't involved with this film at all, except to see the premiere. He got driven in a limo, didn't they, and and walked the red carpet. This was a, a a commercial success, to which he replies, "News to me that it was a commercial success. I certainly have never seen a penny of afters." I never felt that close to it, to be honest. Always one step removed. The ending is different. I've not read the graphic novel. How how, how different is the ending? Or, or is oh, a... really?
0: what else does he say on there? Is that pretty much what he...
1: He says, it's never been explained why they changed the ending. I have surmised that my ending, the better ending, was too violent for them.
0: Yeah. So do you remember the, the ending of the the movie?
1: Yeah, it's just like a confrontation with William Hurt, if yes. I remember rightly, in in, in, a, in a living room in philadelphia yeah yeah does he go back to philly that sounds right
0: yeah because obviously yeah that's the deal i mean major difference is that is that there's a well the film compared to the book is the film is pretty much a very faithful adaptation of the first chunk so the graphic novel the history of violence was published by paradox they called paradox press yes they were called paradox press at that point which was an imprint of dc so he was kind of. Um, they were. They did a bunch of. It was in the nineties, and they were DC had had a lot of it, Obviously, after all the big success with like Dark Knight Watchmen and all that, they initially tried to do loads of graphic novels and books for the adult market. No, they're not superheroes. Nothing. This is pre-Vertigo, which was all the Karen Berger kind of fantasy-led adulty kind of genre books, but got Sandman all those kind of Swamp Thing that got kind of hived off into its own line. And I think if it was when it was reprinted, History of Violence came out as a with Vertigo on the cover, but that isn't what it was originally. So they had that, but they initially did this thing in late, eight, about 89 called Piranha Press. And it was all kind of weird sort of outre cartoonists involved in the various books. And obviously, surprise, surprise, these things didn't sell. Then they kind of did a revamp of it and they called it Paradox Press. And they went into these kind of small, I guess they were manga size graphic novels, smaller books. And they were big books. And the two, and it's very successful line because the two films that were made out of the Paradox Press, essentially the crime line, um, but under the editor, Andy Helfer, who was the editor, regular very good editor at DC around that time, were History of Violence and Road to Perdition. So Max Allen Collins, Richard Revere Serena's, that, and then John and Vince Locke's History of Violence. I think the deal was they didn't get as much on a page rate. They got a page rate for doing the book, but they got a much better deal at the back end right create create owned or if they whether they owned all the rights or most of the rights I'm not sure but it was something it was a much better much better deal so they had that so they were invited to do these books and they were so they're kind of it's just, is it 390 pages? I wish they were selling them as chapters but I think that I think when History of Violence came out it came out as a complete volume and I think um, Perdition did as well so they're like 250 pages so it's kind of a graphic novel but in three kind of chunks inside so three nine page sections and essentially the movie is a very faithful adaptation of the first chapter and then which is which is where up to the point the famous point where um ed harris is killed on the lawn in the book the book then goes back into the past so the second volume is like a flashback and his backstory is very different and then the final chapter is kind of back in the present he goes and it's new york it's not philadelphia so obviously they've gone br- brotherly love two brothers fighting at the end, isn't it? It's kind of like they go for that kind of movie, simplifying. The end of the bit of the book, John's book, is basically someone has been hung up and tortured for 20 years, and he's essentially like a dangling torso.
1: Like something (laughs) from the martyrs or something.
0: So, yeah, no, so it's something something like, um, it's a bit like, the ending is like a cross between the end of a Peckinpah film, Seven, I mean, it is unbelievably violent. I mean, the, the clues in the, the clues in the title, you know, right. <laughs> and it's kind of like it's it's bananas. It's kind of more like in your sort of hostile end of the kind of scale neighborhood, um, yeah. Whereas that isn't what the film is. You know, obviously the film is very is the film is very different. And I think in a way, it becomes about a character. I mean, John's a kind of is a genre writer. I mean, I think mm. in that sense, it's a it's a genre story. It's a kind of full on, kind of operatic thing. And in a way, it's very comic book. I mean, how you do that on the movie page? I do really, on the movie screen. I don't really know the fi- ending of the history of violence. As you know, he goes it's all revealed. He goes back to Philadelphia and he has the confrontation with his mob boss brother, doesn't he? Who's William Hurt, and they have a fight, and it's all very close quarters violence, and it's kind of kills someone with a chair, doesn't he? I think, and uh, and then it ends. He comes home, and there's kind of like it's a kind of it's the kind of classic Cronenberg ending, isn't it? It's very much like Cronenberg usually does these kind of very kind of contained. He doesn't do set piece endings. That's he's has he ever done that? Even the fly is like three people in a room, isn't it?
1: Yeah, he's a chamber. He's a chamber director, director. I think. Uh, I mean, like, I, um, I love Cronenberg, uh, but he's he's yeah. he's. I don't think he's ever been as transgressive as everybody. Or he is transgressive, but in a very chamber setting, you know.
0: Well, he's kind of his films in many ways are very theatrical. These films are very. He is transgressive, but he's a he. He kind of he's quite narratively. Everything, it, 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 there's the ending is the it ends in a kind of a scene, doesn't it? There's no, it, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. End. It's interesting with these films, these films don't end with imagery. It, these films are suffused with imagery. They very rarely end with that type of, I guess, you know, good hit, all hell, the new flash is probably the closest to it. But, you know, it's like at the end of the fly, he blows his head off and she's lying on the floor. The end of dead, dead, the dead zone. She's cradling him. There's a lot, that's the ending of a lot of his films. Is the cradling of a dead person. Dead Ringers. he's The yeah. two brothers like lying together, isn't it? Spider is kind of very sort of. So in a way, he's the he's not the filmmaker you would get to make a comic book movie, you know. And we don't think of the History of Violence as being a kind of comic book movie because a lot of people wouldn't know that it's actually based on a graphic novel. In fact, I do believe that Ronenberg didn't know. That's the story, isn't it?
1: Oh, right, that he just read the script and... Story and go, that. that Cronenberg
0: basically hadn't... Spider was made for literally no money for everybody as a labour of love for two or three years. And much like when he worked on Total Recall and it didn't happen, and he took the fly because he desperately needed a job mm. after two years of not getting a movie made, after Spider, he had to take a job. And this was a script that came along. Interestingly, these two biggest commercial successes, aren't they? Um, the Fly and History of Violence. Mm. So he approaches it like a classic kind of film noir. I think you know it's it's very like it feels like a sort of fifties film noir, which is obviously there in the book.
1: Yeah, it's it's like Burt Lancaster and the killers, and that. Yes, exactly. I mean that
0: is the the, is the killers, isn't it? I mean it's the young of that, and that's it's it, it it kind of springs from that. It's a classic noir kind of setting. And I think this is where it's kind of close to. I think Dread has got a lot of that in it as well. There's a lot of noir in the way that, like, Spirit has got it in it in it as a comic book, and the way Batman's got it in it as a comic book. There's a, there's a lot of that in it that's suffused with that that character. But this is a kind of classic noir, the classic American diner. The interesting thing about John Wagner is he he is he was born in America and he grew up in America. So
1: how how long was he in America for? He was about eleven or twelve. Wow, okay so yeah,
0: he's, so. he was raised in America and then moved to Scotland when he was about 11 or 12. his parents divorced or whatever and, and he's got a brother that still lives in Scotland you know John's there's there's not a lot of what his background in the out there doesn't talk about that but I think if you yeah. look at his characters I think in a in many ways it's like John this, this is kind of like history of violence is someone who's run away from their past and kind of completely reinvented themselves to most people they think John's a, John Wagner's a Scotsman I mean, I mean he is you know in 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 so many ways Um, but he's not there's something much more than that going on and similarly in dread dread is a kind of clone of the chief judge and dread is seen as this kind of robotic kind of one-dimensional hard man but there's much more going on in dread as a character that's what that's what i don't like about the dread movies is they don't get the kind of complexity of dread Mm. dread is complicated dread is kind of like he's a character born without from, he's cloned. He's born out of sight of love. He's not. He's not born of sex. He's not born of any of those things. He's like a kind of. He's in a way. Colossus Square always said he was like a kind of tax inspector. And yet there's an element of like the priest about him as well. Aloof from everything. And yet, and yet he kind of is in a way. Dread's completely morally kind of clear. And if you then read, sto- I mean, there's stories where you can play Dread as the villain, like America. I don't know if you ever read that in the, the magazine. It's one of the best. But then you can do story like Necropolis. Where dread is the hero against that, and in both of that, and that character can contain both of those extremes. And if a character can ex, can contain both of those extremes, that's a great character. That character has never been put on screen. So I would take slight umbrage with what Wagner says about Alex Garland getting him right. I think he got a he gets a very reductive version of dread, and I think dread's much more kind of I think dread. There's more to dread as a character than that. But then I the said as well, you talk about Johnny Alpha in, in Strontium Dogs? Johnny and Johnny Alpha takes on a new name. He's called John, for Christ's sake. And he, he basically you find out as, as that goes on that his father is the villain. And you know, I had you know, interview with John was talking about, he has talked about this in times, you know, his father wasn't a particularly good guy and that's, that's why they came to Scotland or whatever else happened. And he was a bit of a tear away as well as a kid. There's something there in Strontium Dog, which I think is very personal as well, and I think there's something very personal in in History of Violence as well, and I think probably in Button Man as well, the other series that he's kind of famous,
1: which he which he wants he he would like to see made into a film. It's which one has of been which answers.
0: has been which has been kind of like optioned thousands of times by people like Nicholas Wind Winding Refn. It's been right. optioned by J.J. Uh, Abrams. It's like it's been optioned, and they've made quite a lot of money off the option, which is. Yeah,
1: Six or seven <laughs> times.
0: And the, I don't know if you've ever read Button Man, but the first the first book of that in particular, I think is pretty pretty much a masterpiece. It's a great, right. one of the great British comics. Certainly the first one, and maybe the first two books, certainly the ones drawn by Arthur Ransom, I think are, are phenomenal. So yeah, that's the other one. So those are kind of the four towering works, I'd say, in his. Kind of can and there's other stuff as well that people will kind of say is their favorite or whatever else. But, but for me, those are the ones that kind of stand out. Yeah, I mean, I think History of Violence is a interesting movie in lots of different ways because it's kind of a great picture for Viggo Mortensen. It's it's a great performance by Viggo Mortensen. It's a it's a great it's Cronenberg's latter uh, part of his career where that it there's a run of quite successful and bigger. He becomes kind of he becomes respectable, doesn't he, really, after History of Violence, on, interestingly.
1: I mean, that's, I think it's so interesting that you said, you know, about History of Violence, The Fly being his two two hits. I love The Fly. I think The Fly is really good. And I love early Cronenberg. I love the, you know... Well, I love The Dead movie. Zone as well. I think The Dead Zone is great yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, I think he kind of works really well. He has some really... He has these great original f- Films like Scanners and and The Brood and and those movies, but there's also I think he he also does work as a great director of other people's material. You know, mm-hmm. he, he is able to come in. Unfortunately, I think you're right. He does in that latter part of his career sort of start picking top projects. Like I don't know, I'd like to see it again, but I found Cosmopolis, for instance, a real just a fairly dull picture. I
0: like Cosmo- I quite like Cosmopolis. I I. Don't... I read Delillo's book before I saw it as well, so maybe that was. I thought so. I thought it was interesting from the point of view of uh, the adaptation. I think Pattinson's very good in it. I mean, I mean, it's a. It's kind of like again. If you go back to the thing about theatricality, it's very theatrical. Like, it's very very theatrical.
1: It's another another chamber piece.
0: It's very chamber piece. That final scene with him and Giamatti is very is, is that's. It's almost like theoretically absurd, isn't it? All the way through it. I quite like um the Dangerous Method. I think that they talk about another person's script. That's a that's a that's a very well done movie. I think that's um that was very kind of coolly received when it came out. But it's very well done. It's much more in keeping with Cronenberg than people would normally say as well. It's kind of very and Fassbender's is very good in that. I think it's one of his better performances actually mm. since he became very famous.
1: What did you think of Naked Lunch? Because Naked Lunch is one I find really disappointing. I think that's that's a real example for me of Cronenberg doing a sort of radio play adaptation, to sort of like. I mean, it goes to that chamber element of his work, where it's just a series of rooms. There's no—I don't feel there's anything outside of the walls of those rooms, or any. I don't think you can look out the windows and see anything. It's just very constrained by its budget. I find
0: i, I don't have a problem with like. I think that's one of the virtues of Naked Lunch. Right, because it's about the writer, isn't it? Yeah, the writer's in the room. The writer's locked in. Wherever he goes, whether it's Tangiers or any of these places, zone, it's all kind of inside his mind. I think what you've got a problem with with Naked Lunch is you're adapting something where essentially the imagery is reduced to a bunch of rubber monsters. No, you're not. You're not dealing with the the video. The imagery in in Videodrome is far more potent. Whereas the vi- and also the imagery in um, the have you ever read the book of Naked Lunch?
1: Oh yeah
0: yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if the imagery in the book of Naked Lunch, I mean obviously the film is not the adaptation of the book, because it's impossible to do that. It's kind of like almost like Cronenberg's impressions of Naked Lunch, isn't it? Or some of the other material, Exterminator and other junk work. Yeah. The imagery in Naked Lunch is powerful and visceral and sexual and gay. And that's not Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> Cronenberg's not really into that's not his thing. You know, it's um. so the imagery in Julian Sands as a cockroach buggering and eating a young uh, boy just looks like a couple of bits of rubber gyrating against each other yeah. with a bit of Howard oh, Shaw sure music over the top. It's not kind of shocking, it's a bit risible. I quite like the mugwumps, I think they're pretty good in it. And I like his talking um, typewriter and the sort of the track, all that stuff. There's a lot of things in it that I think are really good, but it's kind of one of those films where you cannot translate the imagery onto screen. And I think it's also one of those films, it's a bit like, actually, it's not like it, could, but in the same as Dread, the 295 Dread, is that what they're trying to do technologically is not possible at that point. Right. You know, I think Dread, if this, the vistas of the city and the scale and everything, it's pre-CG, isn't it? So if you'd have gone, say we talk about Phantom Menace, the Phantom Menace is where everything is like, okay, we can do a CG environment that is actually believable and immersive. And if we watch it now, 25 years later, you look at those shots of like the, essentially the digital map paintings and Coruscant and all that. And you say, that's pretty, that's really good. It stands up 25 years later. It still looks decent. Um, the effects aren't there for that. Yeah. yeah. And when you take something like we talk about men, men before we talk about Garland, there's a kind of, Similarity, I think, in in filmmaking, to some degree between Cronenberg and him. Men, while not being a particularly successful film, in my opinion, visually and with the effects and the way it plays with all that kind of body horror and everything, is able to do something that's kind of interesting visually. With that, in a way that Cronenberg's not able to do in Naked Lunch. And if and you're trying to ask for... I think the problem is too many leaps of the imagination. I can buy that... His wife's alive and she's there. I can see, you know, Ian Holm talking across with, he's talking out of sync. I can buy that the world is not really the world. There's bulkheaders. I can buy his typewriter talking. The other stuff becomes too much. But I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's a very kind of, um, but for me, obviously, if you're going to talk about the adaptations, then by far the best one of those later ones is Crash. Crash is a far, far, far better and more transgressive film than Naked Lunch. Because I think as well, Naked Lunch's transgressions, are a transgression of the 1950s aren't they i am a homosexual and i am a drug addict by the 1990s we've seen quite a lot of that <laughs> that's not really sort of also homosexuality is not illegal by the by the time that comes out whereas crash in fucking hell you're talking about it's still banned from being shown in
1: westminster isn't it i mean it's you know, imagine
0: you were, you must have been in britain at the time do you remember the Furori over
1: it yeah, 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 absolutely. Really? You know, it was it was like crazy. It was uh, no one no one
0: mentioned Naked Lunch when it came out.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. James Spader and uh, Holly Hunter and the there the was there were real yeah, it was a real cause of sleb And You had JG Ballard mm-hmm. coming out and and you know, delighted at how <laughs> how horrified everyone was by his absolutely. film. Which by the way, you know, super can is um brandon cronenberg's next film so the JT oh has that just been announced cronenberg no that's i think that was that's been in the in the works for a little while um so i mean you know we can believe it when we see it but um cronenberg is on a cronenberg phil is on a, a a bit of a role at the moment and um
0: he's got another film out himself next year isn't he
1: david cronenberg has yeah which was his film uh Called the ruins, isn't
0: it? I think it's ah. the one. The, is it called the ruins? It's the one with uh, Vincent Cassell
1: Ah, okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Did by the way, did you see Not Possessor? What was the name of the latest one? Uh, Infinity Pool. Um, I haven't seen it. No. I I really up there. I mean, my problem a little bit with the Cronenberg's. It's a and it's my problem a little bit with Naked Lunch is it's that thing of it's a little bit like the, going back to Dread and RoboCop. Once you have RoboCop. You really need dread, and once you have, um, you know, when you have Cronenberg doing so many interesting things from, you know, the Fly and before, when he comes to do the Naked Lunch, which is the source of his, of of the, you know, of of his imagination. Love. Yeah, exactly. Then it feels like he's just re re treading his, his own work.
0: It's so, kind of oddly reverent in a way yes no like i think
1: john carter you know following all the things that john carter inspired oh
0: it Avatar. yeah 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 so, so, so nothing differentiates itself isn't it no well i think i think it's true with dread it's, it's very much you know it's been done by other people and it's been done in cinema better you know arguably i mean it has been done better before that even came out so that already puts you at a disadvantage in a way it's kind of the problem that people have when they're trying to redo superman that you cannot uh, you cannot improve on what was done in 1978 you know those because christopher reeve was perfect and that was perfect and you can do stuff that might be but you can't really kind of ever capture that moment again you know they've had more of joy with batman
1: because mm.
0: batman in a ways a more malleable character and also it helps that he wears a mask
1: is more of a blank space.
0: He is more of a blank space that can be embodied by Michael Keaton or it can be embodied by, you know, Christian Bale, it can be embodied by whoever. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it, it, there's multiple versions. Superman's a much more fixed sort of thing and Dread is kind of like, that's what I'm saying. I think that the, the simplicity of the way they've tried to kind of present it so far reduces it with a lot of reduces the depth and the kind of unique things and the unique things for dread is like the city. But yeah, you're right about Cronenberg. I think, I think it's interesting. then you go back to Ballard, which isn't the source of him. Mm-hmm. But I think the kind of what he gets with Ballard is a, an infusion of new stuff, which is kind of really interesting. And, and, and he pushes it. And he pushes it in a way that's not supernatural. There's none of, there's none of the kind of props in crash of science fiction or, which is why when he goes back to that in kind of something like, um, existence existence that kind of feels like his greatest hits yeah, totally, totally I, 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 it's it's okay it's like yeah. but it's okay you know yeah. spider is a, is a great film yeah. it's a great Probably film you know going into the kind of i think he's much more interested in that than going into the kind of the reality of this kind of transgressive idea which is crashed to some degree which is spider which is you know eastern promises in some respects and even history of violence as well dangerous method these are the films where really you're seeing kind of that played out in a more kind of adult, sort of fully formed setting. And I think the thing now, I mean, I didn't like Map to the Stars. I found that. I don't think he's a Hollywood satirist. Is That is not his uh, <laughs> metier, it should be it would be fair to say. Absolutely. Quite in like, I didn't mind Crimes of the Future. I thought that was pretty good. But obviously clearly low budget and clearly made very completely kind of chamber piece there yeah, because there's, absolutely. there's very little stuff going on. And it's interesting that now he's getting stuff made that is basically play into that Oh, Cronenberg does the weird stuff and he can get he can raise money for that and he wants to keep working and that's absolutely fine but I think the kind of body of the really interesting work is that early stuff and then that later stuff actually of which the you know I would say history of violence is obviously the commercial sort of like height of that I'm not sure whether that's my favorite of them I think I prefer Eastern Promises.
1: Eastern Promises I have to re-watch
0: I watched it once and that's
1: yeah, Cronenberg is due a, a proper rewatch. I think
0: it's interesting. I think the way that they adapt different things. I think it's interesting that there's this kind of venn diagram of, of of Garland and Cronenberg, John Wagner's work, because I think there is something about the John's not a writer of the mystical and the supernatural. He's a writer of the of the real. Red is a very, even though the world is insane, it is a very real. If you read like an um, Strontium Dog, Johnny Alpha deals, even though it's surrounded by all these funny mutants and all the rest of it, at the heart of it, there's something about Johnny Alpha that's very real. If you read Button Man, it, you know Harry, e, actually, that is, it's very real. The kind of world is, it's a, it's a world of chopped off fingers and. What would be the one you want to see then next? The yeah, Button Man will be the obvious one to be yeah. adapted. I mean, I wouldn't see any on it. So want to see anything really but it's like um that would be the one I think would m- translate the best whether that's as a movie or a series probably as a movie as a it's a bleak noirish it's a 70s noir you know it's suffused with a bit of that kind of paranoia of the 70s is a bit of that kind of edge of darkness element to it that would be kind of the way you'd want it to feel like edge of darkness the series, the, the mid 80s series, yeah. it's got something of the of 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 Troy Kennedy Martin in it. It feels like that. I mean, it, 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 and you can see he's got. There's a lot of that element in him. I think he's. I think he really is. He he is a a crime. I mean, I think he's war stories. You know, we talk about he's he's great stories. Stuff like um, the stuff he did for Battle in a lot of ways is as good as anything he did for two thousand eighty. I mean, it's obviously restricted because of the page lengths and the censorship was kind of you were trying to neuter it a bit more for for younger audience but if you read something like hms nightshade which i did a podcast on like last year that is a masterpiece mm. it's on the but the the ship in the navy during world war 2 that is absolute that would make a magnificent kind of tv series yes. Or awesome. i'd love to see that actually of all of the stuff um i think darkies mob it's difficult to see that getting made. <laughs> so, you know, that's a great strip. I think at heart, war and crime are his things. There's right. something, while he is, he's, he's in the world of science fiction through Dread, and they're not really science fiction in the way that you'd. Yeah,
1: they're, they're, I mean, it's yeah. just, there's still sort of pr- crime procedurals. And I mean, Dread yeah. is sort of often, I mean, that's what I think is fascinating about what you're talking about the madness of the world. And Dread Dredd is the guy who comes along and goes, Three years, you know, he just sentences people, and he yeah, just yeah. literally puts people in boxes. And
0: um... well, yeah, well, he's literally he does do that. That's what I think. That's why Carlos is right when he says he's a tax collector. Kind of like he's a, he's a kind of bu- he's got a bureaucratic mindset. He's good at paperwork, dread. You can imagine he's very. Uh...
1: I do love the apocalypse wall. I wish that that's probably my. Oh interest. yeah,
0: I think that really is where dread becomes dread. I don't think no. dread is really. I think dread's quite inchoate before then. It's sort of forming. In those early years, in the way that Batman formed slowly over a few years, I
1: think Um, that I think watching—I don't think it's even overstating it to say that reading that series of strips gave me a real jump as to what stories can do in terms of tearing up their own worlds and saying, you know, you know, you think this is where normally. The hero would save the day. No, they launch the nuclear weapons. You know, they're... Also,
0: he executes loads of his own people because they're dying of radiation sickness as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the mercy killing. <given. laughs> it's like, There's a very pragmatic kind of element to it. It's I'd love of... to
1: see that in a film. I'd love to see that dread.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, brilliant. I mean, he's like, this is what we've got to do. It's interesting, though, if you'd read the recent stuff that John... He does still write dread, not as much now as he did before. But he wrote some amazing stuff in Dread a couple a few years back. He did um he did a series called uh, Guatemala. They go to Guatemala. funnily enough, which is run by robots. Colin McNeil did um um uh what's it called um America. He's now Carlos is no longer with us. Is kind of the I guess he's the main Dread artist. If he does Dread, I mean maybe Dan Cornwall as well, but particularly Colin. But that one is that's as good as anything he's ever written as for Dread. I think He did another one before in Machine Law. He's still pushing Dread. When mm. he does write Dread into kind of interesting work, fashion, into interesting territory, mm. and doing kind of unusual sort of things with him, and uh, and he writes, he's, he, he, I think he's a very, he's understated style is very often seen as being unemotional whereas in fact there's a lot of emotion in it. what he isn't is romantic he's not a romantic writer he doesn't write you know the, the, the romance of heroes and stuff there's a great johnny alpha story that he wrote towards the uh when they brought off they brought him back in the latter part and if you read those early books, there's loads of them are so great but there's this one called it's called a, a traitor to his kind where he ends up being kind of hated by the mutants who are on earth and, everything. and it's got a kind of it's just fantastic that story and it's got the final page And the kind of the writing on it, it's about, I think he goes, he buries, does he bury his mother or something in it? I can't remember. I'll have to go back and look at the book. But it's kind of like phenomenal, Mm -hmm. absolutely phenomenal. And America, it's all about transgressive. You've got a kind of transgender (laughs) lead character in this, narrating a story about oppression in where he's, the character that he's made kind of his career out of is uh, shown in the worst possible light. And it's kind of, and that was done in 1990, 91, you know, it's like, I think that, yeah, I just think he's he's hugely underappreciated. I've said this on other things before. I mean, if you talk about Alan Moore, there's a huge amount of influence of Alan Moore in popular culture, but there is a huge amount of John Wagner in the way that British writers or European writers or American writers have, have, have kind of, um, have gone on. I think a lot of his, a lot of his influence is maybe less well, less acknowledged. Maybe he's less, he certainly is not as interested in promoting brand Wagner in the way that brand Moore has been kind of promoted. And I think interestingly as well, that this, despite all of Alan Moore's kind of like protesting, he's never really played John's never played in the superhero pool and Alan Moore has. That's why, mm. you know, that's the, that, that's why he's, it's because of Swamp Thing. It's because you worked on Batman. It's because you did the killing joke. It's because you did Watchmen. His work has been done in much more sort of more, slightly more
1: peripheral
0: kind of genres. You can see his influence in people like garth ennis and i think you can see a huge amount of wagner in the boys huge amount of that in that in the boys a lot of pat mills as well but a lot of wagner in the boys and garth is really garth ennis is really the kind of person who's really taken on what wagner did and acknowledges that quite openly so for okay. me he stands as the he stands alongside alan moore as the most significant writer that british comics has ever produced and i think without a
1: shadow of a doubt well in that case i want to propose we do this let's table alan moore for part three <laughs> of our of our new podcast series John and yeah, James yeah. Talk comic books and movies yeah, yeah, yeah. what of
0: the, the Alan Moore movies
1: yeah exactly yeah wow. why not why not because I mean I, that'd be I, quite fun. I, yeah let's do Alan Moore that'd be quite, that'd be quite good because I haven't I
0: haven't seen those films God from hell was there so that would be from hell V for Vendetta League <laughs> of Extreme Gentlemen, Watchmen yeah I've seen Watchmen quite a few times so, so, but yeah no, that's good we do that but
1: you want to talk about Frank Miller? Uh, uh, well, we well that might even be the good <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm.